Thank you for joining us on episode nine of the Overcoming Monday podcast, where we provide you with little secrets for your big breakthrough. In each episode, we'll hear from writer, speaker, mom, and pastor's wife, Shari King, as she invites you into conversations with some of her favorite people. They're talking about the issues that matter most to you. Overcoming Monday is a podcast designed to enhance your emotional and spiritual health. Our mission is to help you understand yourself, the people you love, and the world around you so that you can win where it matters most. Now let's get started with an introduction to the episode. Shay, we've literally recorded four podcasts today. (laughs) These are going to be funny because people are going to hear me make all my verbal mistakes in the intros. (laughs) I'm okay with it. Because I just think it's been so great. It's been so fun. But the best part was probably tug of war with our earphones earlier. (laughs) We have to put these earbuds in and share one each so that there's not an echo for you guys to hear and it it be annoying. And so every time I would move my arm or Shay would move her head, (laughs) the earbud would fall out. And then at one point, Carolyn, uh, while we interviewed today, Carolyn Custis James, and if you don't know who she is, basically she's an award-winning author and she basically is like an expert on all things Mm. women in the Bible. Mm. Um, I've read books by her and just never even understood how important it it was for the women to Mm. come to the forefront in Mm. a patriarchal society. So when the Bible was written, men wrote it Mm. who didn't value women like we do today. And yet you still have the women in there. And so you see God's hand in bringing Mm. women out and showing showing them how important they are in his story. Yes, and I think I'm excited to use her resources with women who are just needing to know whose image they Mm -hmm. bear. And I think that was a huge thing in her talking today was just about how we are the image bearers and um, just knowing Jesus and who he is and how we reflect that is just a powerful thing Mm -hmm. that we each possess. And so many women walk around not knowing that. Mm -hmm. And so I'm truly inspired by her and I'm, I cannot wait to get my hands on some of these books. I know they're so good. You can borrow some from me for sure. But this um, episode is called women living with purpose. Mm. Women living with purpose. Mm -hmm. And I meet so many women who don't know why, what their purpose is or what they're here for or just feel like they're making bad decisions or just don't even know their value Mm -hmm. to the Lord. And I feel like when we know our value to the Lord, we can live out our purpose better. And so we talk about that in this episode of Overcoming Monday. I know that you are going to get some little secrets for your big breakthrough on this episode of Overcoming Monday. Hey guys, thank you for tuning in to Overcoming Monday. Today, we're going to interview Carolyn Custis James. She's an award-winning author, and she thinks deeply about what it means to be a female follower of Jesus in a postmodern world, which I also think about. How about you, Shay? (laughs) Shay is here with me today, Shay Gardner. She's our discipleship, uh, one of our discipleship directors here at Clayton King Ministries. And Shay and I are going to talk with Carolyn on the subject of 
Her book, Half the Church, uh, will also be talking a little bit about Ruth and some of the things that she wrote in her book, The Gospel of Ruth and Finding God in the Margins. You guys are not going to want to miss this podcast today because there is so much goodness that Carolyn has to offer us. Mm. We're going to just basically talk about women and why we matter. So um, before we get to the subjects of the book, Today, I wonder, Carolyn, if you could um, just kind of tell us a little bit, a little bit about your family. Um, maybe even a funny story about one of your kids from the past, or something just kind of funny and entertaining. Well, I, um, my husband is a seminary professor and seminary president. Um, he's president of a of a seminary here in the Philadelphia area uh, that is um, very interesting. Uh, very interesting seminary. They're rethinking all sorts of things as far as seminary education is concerned, and they're moving from the suburbs into the city and uh, making the city part of the classroom. And so, and it has changed my life to be married to this man because he is a visionary and he looks at me and sees what can be and then he pushes. <laughs> mm. So I wouldn't be doing anything I'm doing if it had if it wasn't for him oh. and the encouragement and prodding I get from him. <laughs> um, yeah, it's just it's an amazing it's an amazing experience. I it's unbelievable. We have one daughter and she's married and has two little ones. They are two little girls, ages oh, two and three. Um, we think they're perfect. <laughs> <laughs> And um, she she's all into culinary arts, so I get pictures of little girls and food. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but I have a story about her I like to tell. I don't tell. I don't like to pick on my family for illustrations. But she gave me a great one when she was about five years old. We were in Oxford, England. Uh, my husband was working on his defil. We lived in university housing for for families, and so the, in the courtyard below, we were on the third floor. Um, the children would be playing together, and my daughter was always organizing all the other children mm-hmm. in games and um, very creative. And we heard her yelling out the window, "Let's play follow the leader. Who wants to be second?" I'm first. I I have one of those. (laughs) And I, you know, I I use that example because I think that's a pretty standard definition of leadership. And I think the Bible gives us a much bigger view of what it means to be a leader than that. But anyway, yeah, that's so sweet. Um, well, we know that you, and you've told us, accredited a lot to your husband and just chasing your dreams and going after just what you love and what you're passionate about. But can you tell us um, some challenges that you faced um, being a female in ministry? Well, yes. I th- um, I think for me, I you know, the, talking about women and their purpose sort of lands in the middle of a debate in the church. And I wanted to talk about all women, not mm. just women in leadership or not just mothers and wives and mothers. I wanted to talk about all of us. Mm. And so um, I don't enter into that debate 
And but it's so it's so much of a litmus test to find out, you know, if if you're safe or not. That I get asked that question all the time about which camp am I in, and I don't. I'm not in either camp. Hmm. I think there are deeper questions we need to be asking about male female relationships. So, but when they read my books, they look for their language. They look for me to put a stake in the ground over women's ordination pro or con. They look for me to say the the man is the head and the woman is to submit and, you know, to reinforce all of that. And I don't do any of that. So, <laughs> So they all, they all they all get mad at me and <laughs> nobody and, knows what side you're on. <laughs> you have to be on the side. Just yeah. Well, and it's you know the, the bottom line question is is mm. she safe? And there are a couple of words I could throw into my books that would convince some people I'm safe, but frankly nobody is safe. And you mm. know that's a that's a a fallacy that you can have a litmus test that would mean that you could just swallow whatever somebody says after that, or, you know, that, that you can endorse everything they say. You know, Mm -hmm. I hope when people read my books that they can think and that they can ask questions and that they can, you know, I'm not perfect either. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, I've got a lot more to learn and, so so do we all mm-hmm. but anyway but some of that has proven pretty vicious <laughs> and and costly but um mm-hmm. you know i and my husband says the same thing to me you're called to do this and you know at certain points he'll say to me if it's important it's worth fighting for what are you going to do mm-hmm. and um you know so yeah, and, and I do think, I mean, I, I talk sometimes about how at the end of the game, it's not a badge of honor to be wearing a clean uniform, and I don't want to wear a clean uniform when I stand in front of Jesus. You know, I want to give it all, and um, I, if, I'd if i rather explain be explaining to him why I did too much than why I did too little, mm-hmm. and, you know, we're, we're pushed into doing too little, and I I, I think that's a misunderstanding of our mission. Hmm. Um, I think it's a misunderstanding of the responsibility we have as image bearers. And I think it's a, a misunderstanding of what it means for Jesus to have a healthy body. So, um, yeah. So and I, it, it means sticking your neck out, but I think hmm. we have to do that. I was going to say thank you for that. I mean, thank you for carrying a mantle for women in this season and encouraging us and pushing us forward as your husband pushed you forward. Mm-hmm. It's, it's beautiful. We need it. Yeah. Um, in that journey though, is there, and I know there's lots of lessons I'm sure that Jesus has taught you through this, but is there one central lesson, one main lesson that Jesus has taught you on this journey? Well, I always point to them to a class that I took at, um, a seminary where my husband was teaching one of the perks of being married to a professor is that you can sit in on classes. Mm-hmm. And the class that I sat in on was, um, the professor had come to the point where he's going to teach on the book of Ruth. And, um, I thought, well, I know this, I know this story as well as I know my own, you know, I'm not going to learn anything new here. And in, instead, what happened was it just—it was a life-changing moment for me. Mm. And um, you know, the the whole the Book of Ruth—we talk about it like it's a Cinderella story, you know, from rags to riches for Ruth because Boaz 
you know, this beautiful love story. Mm-hmm. But actually what we have in the book of Ruth is the story of a female Job in Naomi. And it's her story. And what this professor mm-hmm. said that rocked my world and everything from that point on was different was he said that Ruth is initiating the action and Boaz is responding to her initiatives. And then you look at her in every single chapter, she's, she's making up her mind, which, you know, patriarchy deprives women of agency. It deprives them of voice. It deprives them of legal rights. And she's going to claim all three. So she, in the first chapter, she puts her foot down and says, I'm going with you. She makes a decision. She makes a choice. In the second chapter, she's, she's asking for special gleaning privileges. She does not want to take scraps home to Naomi. She wants to feed her mother-in-law. So she's challenging his compliance with mosaic law and asking to glean where she can get more in the at the at the threshing floor she's volunteering to bear a family to rescue the family that's dying out mm-hmm. and in the fi- in the final chapter she gives her child to Naomi so every chapter she's initiating mm-hmm. the action and i grew up thinking the word initiate was a word that belonged to men mm-hmm. and that that the word that belonged to me was respond and when I saw that in Ruth, it was over for me. Hmm. Um, you know, it wasn't Deborah, it wasn't Esther, you know, it wasn't Priscilla, it wasn't any of those big name women in the Bible. It was an undocumented immigrant from what is today's Jordan. In in our world, she would be Arab. She's a, in poverty. She's been proven to be barren after 10 years of marriage. She's absolutely below zero in terms of her value in the culture. And God is using her to advance his purposes for the world. I mean, it's just, and she shakes up Naomi and Boaz both changes their lives. The whole community is rocked by her actions. And, Hmm. and I just thought, I can't, I can't say no anymore. Mm -hmm. I can't say not me anymore. Um, I have responsibility and, you know, it was, it was over for me. And I think about her every day, Hmm. (laughs) you know? So yeah, that was a huge turning point. Um, as was the Azer, you know, learning about that, um, that God created his daughters to engage, be Mm -hmm. active, active participants in his plan. Mm -hmm. Love that. I know, um, when my husband and I were thinking about getting married, I remember, I think he was kind of trying to scare me off just a little bit. I don't know what he was trying to do, but we were sitting in the car um, and he said, well, I just want you to know that I'm called to ministry and I'm called to preach. And if you're not good with that, then I think we're just not going to, it's not going to work out. (laughs) And I was like, okay, what is this like? Is this the line? Like, what are are you drawing a line in the sand? Am I being challenged? And so um, he also didn't mean to do this, but when we first met, he assumed that I didn't look like a rock climbing instructor. I was applying for camp and to work as a rock climbing instructor. And when I told him that I wanted to work, he said, well, we need people, but probably not you because we need people with skills. So when we first (laughs) met, (laughs) he wasn't very gentle with his words. (laughs) He just... 
he was nervous that time. He said, that's why he told me. So, but this is what it did for me. I was that person that looked at him and said, well, what kind of skills do you need? Because I know how to dot, dot, dot. And I started listing out all my qualifications. (laughs) And then um, when we were sitting in the car before we got married, I said, well, I'm called to ministry too. And I said, so I'm not going to stay at home and cook dinner and do your laundry and say bye see you later I want to be a part of this thing Mm -hmm. but and that was that was good and it was very epic at the time and I'm glad that we had the conversation but learning how to fit in or learning what that meant for us to minister together was a challenge and there were a lot of hard conversations and times I felt like I was pushing the envelope of maybe what he believed or what I believed. And we just had to keep having hard discussions to figure out what it looked like for me to be involved. And sometimes I was courageous and sometimes I wasn't. And I just have been, and he and I have both been having this conversation of what does it look like for me to serve? Mm -hmm. What does it look like for him to serve me? What does it look like for us to give and take at different times in our lives so that we can live out who we're supposed to be. And that's hard. It's hard to do that. And I think that Mm. even in our American culture, there are some, it's, it's not, I can't at all compare it to, um, some of these Mm. nations that I've been to as far as like India and, you know, other cultures to where in Thailand and, and stuff like that where the man is very dominant. But I think that there's still a, for Mm -hmm. lack of a better way to say this, the leadership in our country and specifically the leadership in our church is mostly men. And then I would say a lot of white men. Um, And it's, it's not anybody's, it's not any one man's fault. It's just, I love the quote that you said. I can't remember if it was in your podcast or in your book, Half the Church. But you said that instead of just putting someone at the table, putting a woman at the table so that we can say that there, there's a woman at the table, or I would even say we could, tr- we could take this over to a minority mm-hmm. at the table. Instead of saying, well, I've got a woman here, or I've got a minority here, or I've got these people at the table, and they're saying stuff, but that it, it's not about them having a voice. Um, it, it's about us needing their voice. And I love that distinction is Mm -hmm. that when we as a culture realize we Mm -hmm. need to learn from each other because we're all God's children. And I think that's Mm -hmm. just been hard because the way that our culture has, the way that our country was formed, um, you know, when the Mayflower came over, women, I mean, men were actually buying wives off the ships, some of them, and that's not that long ago. And so you've got... We, we just aren't that far away from even a culture where men dominated, but we've come a long way. Mm. Um, but all that to say, I think that I love, the, I love your, your word about needing those voices. And I think that our society is kind of opening up to that, especially with the ideas of um, not just... Um, not just saying that we're a diverse society, but actually pulling in people who, uh, African-Americans who have suffered because we had slavery in this country and not, and saying, I want to know how you're feeling about this. I want to know what, 
what is where how's that how has our culture improved are where do we still need to improve are people listening to you do you have a voice and yeah. so i think that the lord cares about mm-hmm. all of our voices mm-hmm. and um i feel like that's a little bit of your message of half half the church is there's a world of women out there in the church who are serving and maybe don't feel like their voices are needed um they're involved and they love Jesus, but maybe they don't feel like their voices have the impact that they wish. So I wonder if you could speak on that. I don't know if that was a really long question and maybe very involved. <laughs> um, but I but I love that conversation that you have about we are, our identity is in the Lord. We are named after him. Um, and so we reflect him just like a man does, you know? Yeah. 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 And you know, I, I think we've, that's one of the big things that we lost in the fall because in Genesis one and two, it's very clear that men and women need each other. Um, when God creates his image bearers, they're male and female, and he gives them this mission together to be fruitful and multiply, to rule and subdue. And, you know, we, t- we, we often reduce these to physical callings, but they are theological callings to multiply image bearers, to live fruitful lives, to invest ourselves in what's going on in the world. And the interesting thing is that um, when you get to the second chapter of Genesis and the creation of male and female, we start talking about marriage instead of talking about male and female, mm-hmm. because it's not a, it's not about marriage. It's about, it's about humanity. And it's, um, it only talks about marriage at the very end of the, of the um, chapter in a very strong anti-patriarchal statement when it says for this cause, a man will leave his father and mother and cling to his wife in patriarchy. And you've seen this in cultures when, Mm -hmm. when a man and woman marry, she becomes the property of his family and they Mm -hmm. have power over her. Even if he dies, she can't go back. So, you know, it's totally, but anyway, back to the creation of male and female, you know, we make jokes out of that. And, um, you know, in half, in half the church, what I wanted to do was put in a single volume what I'd been learning in my other books, what I'd learned about the Azer in When Life and Beliefs Collide, where, how it expanded in the Lost Women of the Bible, when I did more study into, into Naomi, in the books that I've written about Ruth, it's sort of all the way through the book. And I needed a volume where I could say, read this volume. This is what I've, this is what I've learned. This is what I'm saying. And, um, but anyway, the creation of the woman is, is not God fixing something in the man. The man, there's nothing wrong with the man. He's created at the peak of God's creative activity. And he's a masterpiece. He's just finished naming the animals, which, you know, we think is really cute. But it's the beginning of science. You know, it's like mm. a real intellect was engaging in that challenge. And mm. But that what God is teaching us is that men and women need each other. And so he says it's not good for the man to be alone. And he doesn't say at home or when he wants to have a family. There's, it's a blanket statement. 
There's no place where it's okay for the man to be alone without this person who's made out of his own body. So she's, she's not a foreign object. She's he, when he looks at her, he sees himself, you know, he says, this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She's not some new entity. Um, She's re-engineered completely, but she's made out of him. And um, and the language that God uses when he creates her is a, is a word that she's mostly for God himself. You've already, Shari, you've already referred to that as that we're named, that God names us for himself. And it's the Hebrew word azer. And um, when when scholars figured out that it was used mostly for God, they upgraded helper, which is how Azer is usually translated to strong helper, which, you know, (laughs) and then they started arguing over, well, what do we mean by strong? Strong. Yeah, you know, so then the debate carried on. And I went and looked up all those verses, and I found that in every single context, there was military language around the word. Like a warrior. Yeah. Mm. So I went back to the Garden of Eden, and and I started to think more closely about what was going on there and realized there's an enemy getting ready to attack. The man is supposed to guard the garden. They're Mm -hmm. called to rule and subdue. You know, this is a war zone. This isn't paradise that we've called it. It's a war zone. And I concluded from that. And now I have found in, in another from another scholar, one of the leading Old Testament scholars, that he agrees that Azer is a military word. And so I've Mm -hmm. concluded that God created the woman to be a warrior. She's the Azer warrior in the battle with the man. She's to stand with him in the battle. She's to be a strength for him. She's to Mm -hmm. watch his back. She's to be the first barrier he runs into when he heads down the wrong path. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's not a a criticism of the man. It is uh, an underscoring of the scope and ferocity of the battle that we're called to. So And I love that you – didn't you say – I believe you said in the book that they lost focus on fighting the enemy and started fighting each other. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And that's and what I, ha- the fall does, is the fall, mm. dis- I call it a blessed alliance because when God creates male and female to be his image bearers, it says he blessed them. Mm. And then he sends them out into this global enterprise that that he, you know, to be agents of his kingdom, to be reflections of who he is in the world and to do his work, to care, to care for the earth, to care for other people, to promote the flourishing of all. Mm -hmm. And the enemy disrupts everything with that first blow. He breaks up the blessed alliance. He divides God's image bearers from one another and cuts them off from their creator. And so that's where we are. Mm-hmm. That's where we are. And, you know, like you said earlier, we have to go back to the beginning, back to those first two chapters to recapture that vision, because that's what Jesus came to restore. Mm-hmm. And, and God's never given up on that on that vision for us. So, yeah. Well, when you see um, if you I mean, you see any movie, not that movies are real, but, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you see people fighting in a movie and they're fighting back to back with their swords out you know, like mm-hmm. back to back and they're looking around and they're aware of everything mm-hmm. going on around them. Um, and 
And so that's the most efficient way is to be aware, to be back to back fighting together. It's the best way to protect each other. Hello. Um, yeah. And I just, when you were um, mentioning that about in your book about, you know, instead of fighting the devil who's around us, we're fighting each other. Mm. Then we're face to face fighting each other and we don't even know who's attacking us from behind. Mm. So it's just a unwise way to fight anyway, because then we're, we're, we can be destroyed from behind. We'll be back in a moment, but first let's check in with Elizabeth Harper, our in-house beauty expert for some top trends and your daily dose of practical advice. Hey everybody, I hope you're having a great day. This is Elizabeth with your tips and tricks. Um, I have a funny one today, but it actually works. And so please give it a try. This is my kitchen sink facial. Um, as we were traveling with my husband's job, there was just never time to really get out, get pampered, do all that kind of stuff. And after working in a spa for many years, I became a little... Um, spoiled actually with getting to have facials every once in a while and I really enjoyed it so I created my own at-home version using the steam setting on my dishwasher and some few products a few products from around the house you have these probably already in your kitchen um, so go ahead and grab your coconut oil sugar make sure that your dishwasher is ready to go on the steam setting you don't even have to put a pot in there in fact i recommend that you don't because then you're gonna get that dishwashery smell you just want the steam you want egg whites and olive oil and grab your favorite essential oil that's important also now the rest is up to you my recommendation is that you tell whoever's in your house your husband your kids your roommate to hit the road go do something fun this is you time put on some soft music grab a magazine for when it's time for the mask to set and now you're prepped for the rest of the steps i want you to go over to the blog check it out step by step piece by piece this is going to tell you exactly how you get that at home facial and what to do with the steam from your dishwasher. I know it sounds funny guys, but I'm telling you this is a great way to treat your skin and treat yourself when you're short on time and short on funds. All right, I hope you have a great day. Take care. So you talked about um, just how the fall damaged so much of that. And um, I guess I would love to hear more about what that meant for women so when the fall happened and the view and the value that jesus put on us is still there but it looks it looks broken now can you describe i guess what that looked like in jesus's time for women to live in that brokenness and then maybe even in what you know of women who still live similar to that in other countries around the world it, I think in a very real sense, we all live in that still. Um, you know, what happens after the fall is the rule that God entrusted to his image bearers, which was outward, like you say, back to back, outward toward creation. Mm. And um, that there's going to be an enemy. They're going to meet resistance for what they're doing. But people aren't the enemy. And, you know, and Paul re- reaffirms that when he says we don't 
wrestle with flesh and blood. So, um, but, it, but, um, I'm losing my train of thought here. I switched to Paul, but anyway, that that we were that we were called to that battle together, and that the rule of men and women was outward to the care of creation. Hmm. After the fall, it changes, and we hear this line that He will rule over you, hmm. and so that's right there hmm. that the curse that is that that we are here to combat like we combat all the other curses that are issued there um that that's where the rule of men comes over women instead of alongside hmm. and you know we still face that in our churches the 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 main words that we hear as women in the church are submission and silence Mm-hmm. You know, respect. We, yeah, not that we shouldn't respect. I'm not saying no. that we shouldn't, but I feel like those are the, those are the, the call operative words. words. Yeah. So the operative yeah. words. We're not, you know, we're not called to be strong, even though Paul calls us to be strong or to mm-hmm. arm ourselves for the battle. Um, you know, we're not. All the other verses that address us are sort of ignored, and those are the operative words that we are taught. And frankly, I think it. It sets up sets us up for the church two stories we're hearing about um, in the Me Too yeah. crisis. Mm. If 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 that's what we're raised on, submission and silence, we're not strengthening mm. the the attributes that we need to be able to say no or stop it or that's wrong. Right. And mm-hmm. and so we can't do what God created us to do in the beginning when he said it's not good for the man to be alone. I think that um, I've been disturbed lately. We, we work a lot with students um, either in high school or college and middle school. And so what's been disturbing to me is that there's a few things. First, the main the main message and the main thing girls are insecure about is whether they're beautiful (laughs) and image. And I think it's because we are not telling them that they're strong and that they're image bears. We're not telling them that enough. Instead, when they don't, when they feel insecure and they feel like they don't measure up or they're depressed or, um, or they're not beautiful, we're saying, you are, you are, you're so beautiful. You're beautiful. (laughs) Be you, you know, and that is a very shallow way to fix a deep mm. problem. The deep problem is that they don't see themselves in the correct image. They don't see who they were created to be. And I think sometimes the mess it's scary for maybe the church to tell women to be strong because they're afraid that women are going to take over. I don't really know what they're afraid of. Mm-hmm. All I know is I've been to other countries where I just got back from Peru and there are women there serving these kids in these mm-hmm. villages, and it is mostly women doing this work, and they are not trying to rise up and take over. They're trying to serve and make their families work and thrive. They're trying to educate children who would not normally have an education. They're trying to feed them and give them sustenance. They're trying to keep and make their husbands well or to keep their marriages together and help other people's marriages. They're working jobs to keep you know, some of them don't even have a husband anymore and they're working in order to support their children and their mom and dad. These are things that Mm. women are doing when they know they have to be strong and they take that message and they say, 
I have to be strong in the Lord because this is where I am in life. Mm. And, and so if I'm not strong, how will I survive? And, you know, um, I haven't, growing up, I just, I probably was a little, um, got a little too independent and a little too strong, but it was because a lot of my life was in and out of marriages, in and out of not great circumstances. And so I wanted to love the Lord and I wanted to live a godly life and I wanted to be healthy. And in order to do those things, I had to make choices to feed myself and to to do things. I had to be independent in order to become who it is that the Lord had called me to be because God became my father because I didn't have one raising me. Mm. And so for me, Mm. when someone says, don't be strong, I think about that little girl who felt like she had to be Mm. or else she would not have survived some of the things Mm. that she went through. And so I want to help these girls see you know what? I hope that you feel beautiful, but even more than that, I hope that you feel secure in who God's made you to be because I feel like once you can feel that, it doesn't matter about your hair and it doesn't mm. matter about all these other things. All that falls away because it just comes from inside instead. Mm. And you're not trying to work on the outside so hard and mm. um and I just feel like that's the message of half the church is that you've got these, you've, we're teaching women, I think, a weak doctrine, and we have weak women, and we wonder why. And I think if we could believe that we could take deep doctrine and mm. put it in these women, and they could believe that they have a purpose and, and allow them to live that out with full freedom, then we would have stronger mm. churches. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, to think that we're in a competition, mm-hmm. you know, is is such a misnomer. I mean, mm-hmm. again, mm-hmm. back to the image of being the body of Christ, you know, you don't want your body to be in competition with other parts of your body. You know, you you'll be in the intensive care. Yeah. And, you know, and so, yeah, I love what you say. And I love the passion for for that. And um, I'm glad you have your podcast going because <laughs> women need to hear this. They need mm-hmm. more of us need to be saying it. And, and our little girls need to hear it. And there's a, it's a new day in a lot of ways for younger girls. Cause we do have female soccer teams and, yes. you know, <laughs> so they get a different, they get a different picture of the possibilities and yes. they're, yeah, there's there's more that they're seeing and hearing that, but that but it needs to come from the church. Mm-hmm. We got we got the message first, you know, and yeah, and we're not we're not even though the Bible is is blowing up the categories all the way through as far as women are concerned, and the 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 fact that in in that ancient patriarchal culture they step out onto the pages of Scripture and mm-hmm. God does amazing things through them. Um, you know, it's, 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 it's mind boggling and Mm. we, we have the message and we just need to get it out. Right. I think that's something, um, that I actually just within the last week really noticed, um, in the bleeding woman story, I was teaching it for a discipleship weekend. And in that story, it says that, you know, she was sick for 12 years. She had spent all of her money. She had seen a bunch of doctors, but she said, I know that if I touch the robe of Jesus that I would be healed. And so I think a breakdown of a lot of us finding our value or our security in Jesus is that we 
believe he's someone other than what he really is. I feel like we don't really know him to be able to trust who we are in him, Mm. if that makes sense. And so I feel like a lot of um, struggle with women in owning who they are is that they don't know whose image they're bearing. Mm. And if they think they do, a lot of times it's a misconception. It's um, not a God that is good, not a God that we can trust. So there's all these like inner breaking downs of like turmoil, almost wanting to own everything that we believe and hear, but then also not trusting the person whose image we're bearing. And I see that a lot with girls Mm. when they're talking about the steps that they're taking to be in ministry or to serve Jesus or to further his kingdom is that they're saying all these things, but then when I ask them about the goodness of God in their life or who he is to them, they don't really trust him. Mm-hmm. And so how can we fully walk in, in the image of someone that we don't really trust? And so I'm learning more and more that that's just true, is that we have to be able to trust the person whose image we're bearing to know him and to walk in who he really is. And yeah. so I, um, I love that Jesus is revealing that to me, and I love that um, I, I think he wants us all to know him because that woman, she walked away changed that day. And I'm sure her confidence in telling her story was greater after encountering him and knowing him. Mm. And so I just, I would love just more and more for women to have that theology, that relationship with God, where they are learning who he is and they can trust him to bear his image. And so I, I just think all of this is so deep and so rich. And I think what Shari said is true that we don't challenge depth sometimes. And so we lack that in a lot of areas um, as women when there's so much inside of us to be shared and told. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I, um, I'm just encouraged by this podcast too. I'm thankful that Shari's doing this. Well, Carolyn, as we end today, I wanted to ask you um, if you could give us uh, a on like the tail end of what Shay is saying, could you give us a Jesus perspective on Ruth and Boaz? Like how did Ruth reflect Jesus? How did Boaz reflect Jesus? Because I want to, I know that both of them have this, or at least God, um, (laughs) whichever one, Jesus, God, Holy Spirit, (laughs) they reflect him. Um, But how did they reflect them so that women who are listening can learn to trust mm-hmm. him a little bit more? What in their lives um, displays the character of God that stands out the most to you? Hmm. There's a word in the book of Ruth that is the theme, and it is the Hebrew word hesed, which mm-hmm. is a brand of love we don't have an English word for. So we use love, loving kindness, kindness, uh, mercy, sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, so it's, so we're, even those words all put together don't give us the full meaning of that word. It is a, it is a brand of love that is costly, that is sacrificial, that is voluntary, that is relentless. It is, mm. the, it is the love of God for his people. And it is the love that drives Ruth and that ultimately will drive Boaz and that Naomi will join in to give 
and that impacts the entire community of Beth, Beth, Bethlehem. And it starts with Ruth. You know, mm. the decision to go with her mother-in-law is like sabotaging her future. Because she's barren and she's foreign and she's a brand new believer. So she doesn't stand a chance of being of anything coming out of her life. Um, but she's, but she's not going to lie down and take it. And so when they get there, she knows if they're going to survive that she has to get out there and work. And so she, you know, she's an undocumented immigrant and she goes on the welfare system, which is just what everybody's afraid of, but she's going to change everything. God's going to work through her to change everything. Mm -hmm. And she changes Boaz because they have conversations about three mosaic laws. The first one is the gleaning law. And at the threshing floor, they're talking about real estate and progeny, the Leverett law. Um, because Naomi's family doesn't have a, a male heir. And so she's challenging Boaz's understandings of those laws. She lives on the hungry side of the law, so it reads differently from there. Um, for example, with the gleaning, the the letter of the law says feed them, and Boaz is allowing gleaners, but the spirit of the law says feed them. The big difference between let them glean and feed them, and um, and so this there's sort of this Hesed epidemic where everybody participates, and Ruth takes home the mother load of, of winnowed barley to her mother-in-law, and that's the turning point for Naomi. And after that, Naomi's thinking about Ruth's safety and that she needs to be under the shelter of a male umbrella, and Boaz is the most likely candidate because he's been so gracious and um and but ruth isn't gonna go looking for a husband for herself she's she's vowed to care for her mother-in-law so it's you know it's just this spirit the gospel is a call to sacrifice the gospel is a call to put the interests of others ahead of ourselves Mm -hmm. It's, it's like the women you talked about in peru you know where they're they're caring about others that's the gospel and mm. that's what happens in the book of Ruth. It is just an explosion of gospel living. That's why I call the book the gospel of Ruth. And mm. um, and the subsequent book, Finding God in the Margins, just explores that. All the, There's so much more there. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's about putting the interests of others ahead of ourselves. That's what Jesus did. His whole mm. life is about that. So. Mm. I think that's what we maybe sometimes um, I felt so guilty about what Jesus did for me for so many years. I felt like I needed to pay him back. And when I was finally able to let go of that, that um, pay him back for loving, terrible, old, pitiful me, you know, when I was able to to let go of that guilt and Mm -hmm. and then that and the need to prove that I was worth it. I all of a sudden understood grace, you know? Mm. Um, I think I used the word grace, but I didn't understand it because mm. I wasn't receiving it. I was trying to perform to get it, you know? Mm. And I think that that's when I when I read about Boaz, I realize how much he did sacrifice, um, was willing to do that as a man as far as the investment is concerned and all these things. He understood that it's not about earning Uh, or it's not about the letter of the law. It's about the spirit of the law. It's about what God's calling us to do and who is Mm -hmm. calling us to be. And if I can 
put my flesh down and my legalism away and like shove that all that aside and really see God for who he is, mm-hmm. then I'm going to succeed mm-hmm. so much better in my relationship with him because I'm going to see who he really is and I'm going to see how he really sees me. And mm-hmm. I think that's mm-hmm. the key. It's important. Mm-hmm. So ladies, um, I hope that today this has been an encouragement to you. Man, I feel so full right now. Carolyn, I hope you're not exhausted. <laughs> we have done two podcasts in one two-hour period or a little bit less. And um, women, I know that you will want to go out and listen to her podcast, any podcast she's guested on. Mm-hmm. Um, she's got some other, she's got a sermon from Liberty that she did on iTunes that you guys should check out on Ruth. And she has many books. So go to her website, Carolyn James.com. That's Carolyn with a Y and check out her stuff. You've got to read this. And I know that the Lord will open your eyes to so many wonderful things mm. about who he is to you. And maybe you'll understand yourself a little bit more and you'll understand God mm. a lot better. And you'll appreciate the woman in the Bible, um, like oh, supersized, yes, right? Yes, <laughs> um, Shay, you're awesome. Thanks for sitting in here with me. And I just want to give a shout out to Tucker Ficklin. He is Thanks, our uh, engineer for this re- podcast, um, which is uh, produced by Clayton King Ministries, who Clayton King is my husband, mm-hmm. and I'm a speaker for this ministry. So if you ever want me to come to an event, I'd love to come and speak to your ladies event or even just an event overall. I love to speak at colleges also and conferences. So um, Clayton and I also love to do things together on marriage. So if that's something that you want, um, go to ClaytonKing.com. ClaytonKingMinistries.com or SharyKing.com. All of those. Um, Carolyn, we appreciate you. Thanks for being on this podcast today. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for tuning in to Episode 9 of Overcoming Monday. Be sure to share us with your friends and follow Shari on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at SharyKing99. And for more encouragement to move you forward in your faith, check out her blog at SharyKing.com. Thanks again for listening, and we hope we've given you something to help overcome this Monday.